you spooks back with another episode of the show and this time I've got a guest on that you will absolutely love I've had him on uh, my uh, magazines and monsters show before my good buddy from the super vlog team up Charlton Hero that's right good old uh, CB here to talk about a crazy Kirby horror comic uh, he loves him some crazy Kirby so it being Kirby month hashtag uh, Kirby month I figured I'd uh, get this episode out here in August so he and I could talk about it and uh, we had a real good time talking about this uh, wild crazy DC horror comic so stay tuned and he and I will be right back after this short break Everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here, back with another episode of the show. And this is going to be episode number five, believe it or not, of uh, my new show, The Bronze Age of Horror. And you'll know by this point, but I will say it again. I had a, a huge assist here with the uh, awesome artwork for the show by a certain individual. So I'm contractually obligated to have him on as a guest. Uh, please welcome uh, Charlton Hero. How are you, my friend? I don't feel the least bit bad, sir. 
doing doing <laughs> the artwork and and getting myself weaseling myself onto this podcast to talk some weird mystery tales. I can't wait. This one was a fun one. Yeah, man. You and I had talked a uh, weirdo, crazy uh, '80s Kirby. You know, because he went on to do some stuff, you know, uh, create her own stuff with like Pacific and some of those smaller publishers in the 80s. But, you know, in the mid 70s, early 70s here, he was, you know, firmly uh, planted at D.C. doing his new gods and doing some other wild stuff, too. And, you know, he did some horror uh, in, in this crazy title they started up in 1972, Weird Mystery Tales. They uh, pushed a bunch of his stories into in the first few issues here. So, yeah, Weird Mystery Tales number two from 1972. So. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. There's two stories in this issue, and uh, King Kirby here is the the brain behind the first story. But uh, so weird mystery tales. You and I talked offline a bit uh, before we started recording here. Kind of a weird name, and you know when you look into mm-hmm. well, why is it called that? Well, the the huge brains at DC thought, well, we have a uh, weird war tales and weird western tales. You know, let's try a weird mystery tale. So real original there, huh? <laughs> Well, they ran out of words, basically. So, you know, when 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 Marvel has the the bank on like strange tales and you know weird science and you know astonishing uh, tales, mis- astonishing <laughs> tales, you know house of mystery, everything is chewed up. So then you're left with some scraps. So you have weird mystery. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll take it and then add tales to it because that that you know that completely makes it different. So good for them. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, just as an aside, when I was a, a, a young whippersnapper, the word tail meant something completely different. <laughs> something <laughs> like my pop-ups that i just seen recently. But I digress. <laughs> something you see when you go to certain websites. But anyhow. <laughs> where, where is that X button? Where is that X button? Sorry. <laughs> uh, delete cookies. Okay, so yes. <laughs> now, <laughs> weird mystery tales number two. Like we said, we're going to talk about this crazy one here. And so the first thing I noticed about this one is, you know, I I'm not a big researcher. Again, we talked about that for a minute off mic here, too. But I do do kind of try to prepare, you know, slightly Uh, just not a heavy researcher. You know, I'm no Chris Sheehan. We we talked about he's he's the researcher supreme. (laughs) But I did uh, come to think of it. We should have got him to research this for us. Oh yeah, really? You know that's yeah. true. Maybe next, yeah, maybe next time there needs to be some heavy research. <laughs> we'll we'll contract them out. <laughs> but yeah, this these uh, some of these crazy stories that were jammed into these weird mystery tales here were originally supposed to appear in another book. So, did you know anything about that? I did not. Do tell. Okay, so. Uh, I have this one issue. So Kirby did a couple of magazines uh, for DC in the early 70s there. And one of them was called Spirit World. You ever hear that one? I did not. Okay, it's crazy. It's a magazine size. It was almost like DC was trying to get into magazines like Marvel went crazy with the early 70s there with the horror and Conan and stuff like that. And I guess it just didn't fly off the shelves. So they put the kibosh on it pretty quick. But I know there's a crime one that Kirby did and this one called Spirit World that has some, you know, crazy, weird, horror suspense type stories in it and uh, i have the the one and only issue and i guess there was supposed to be a second issue where some of these weird mystery tales with kirby uh were supposed to appear and uh, after one issue of spirit world they put the kibosh on it so they jammed them into here instead pretty neat and, and you know what one thing that strikes me you, you hit it right on the head in the 70s kirby was you know 
he had left and, you know, left Marvel, you know, his safe house. And he's over in D.C., so he's doing all the, uh, you know, the fourth world stuff and new gods and forever people and all this experimental stuff. And he's pretty well known for that, for his his whole run here. And we forget that he branched out to some horror. And what I like about this is that it's not typical Kirby. And when we get into the meat and potatoes of our show here, I'll, I'll, do, I'll go into detail of exactly what I mean here. Because, you know, uh, from the look of his art to the uh, just the style and, you know, overall vibe of the book is completely different than anything he was doing at the time. So it's very interesting to take a peek behind the curtain here of different Kirby. How about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it, when you think about it, it almost it, it does blow your mind from when he started oh, yeah. making comics to when he finished. Just uh, there was no genre that was untouched. He had his hand in every genre. It, it's just crazy to think about. It blows my mind. <laughs> mm. So yeah. uh, so prolific, so much, so much, uh, you know, just just work that he did. And you just think about how much time this guy spent you know, just creating an issue. This guy wasn't somebody who did, you know, was trying to get one book completed in the span of three months, a la Image Comics. I mean, this guy was banging out whatever he could at his desk. There wasn't enough hours in the day to keep going. And, you know, just the volume that he could put out and the quality at at this time, you know, when we talked about him in the 80s, we discussed, you know, you know, his pencils got a little lighter. Maybe he was getting older. Maybe his vision was suffering. You know, it, it's a different Jack Kirby in the in the 80s than we're seeing here. It's a more refined, uh, I would say, more detailed Jack Kirby that we're going to see here. And it's really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you there. So let's talk about the cover first, though. That is a, a gentleman, Beautiful. Howard Pur- Purcell, Purcell, however you want to, uh, you know, pronounce it there. But I did read, too, this is one of the last few jobs he did uh, were these couple of weird mystery uh, stories and covers here. But what do you think of this cover here? Oh, it's a beauty and and everything about it. So, you know, everything that that I like about a cover that I find scary that they don't do these days that are really, really important to me. Number one, just having a damn logo on the cover. I don't think that's too much to ask. Weird mystery. It's all weird and crazy. You know, it's speckly. It's, you know, yellow and black. It really sticks out. You know, if you got your your price in the corner, 20 cents for this one. Weird DC mystery. And you got your comics code authority. But the visual is beautiful. So it says it's the a strange tale of destiny aboard the Titanic. And you get to see the Titanic elevated into the air as it plunges into the ocean. And in the background is almost like in the steam coming out of the uh, the towers of the of the boat or whatever. Uh, it makes almost this skull like ghost. And it's a real cool image as people like in the uh, in the lifeboats are pulling away. And it's just a haunting, haunting image. I really think it's great. And the muted blue colors are uh, are very cool, too. So just just an overall great package. If this one was on the shelf back in the day, I definitely would have slapped down my 20 cents, sir. Mm, yeah, I would have snatched this up in a second. I only have one gripe. The skeleton, you know, death, you know, uh, figure in the back, his arm is coming up out of the smoke and steam. And that just looks a little wonky to me. I wish his arm was a little more solid, like he was just getting ready to smash something and go crazy. Yeah, I wish yeah. there a little more horror there. But otherwise, oh, it's a beauty. The boat looks great. I shouldn't say boat, ship. And then the yep. lifeboat. Look at it. There's these, I think there's even detail in the people on the lifeboat, like the boat itself and their life jackets and stuff. Oh, it's fantastic. It's really, really well done. It almost, you know, when, when you think about the level of detail that they were putting in the books back then, this is this is on the high end of the scale for sure. 
Yeah, so that's, that's that's awesome. Two thumbs up here for the cover. And then, you know, we we jump right into the first story here. And uh, I'm not sure. Help me out here. Toxel the World Killer, would you pronounce that? Or Toxel the World no, I, I, I think it's that's how I was pronouncing it. That's my head cannon telling me Toxel, the world killer. He may have lived before recorded history. That's pretty cool. But yeah, that's not really it. that's not really the first page. We start mm-hmm. with a very odd page. One is actually the the doctor, <laughs> the archaeologist, which is really, really weird. So you picture this. You're in a, you're in this typical boardroom. So you have a gentleman. He's in this striped green suit. He's got glasses, you know, he's got a beard, he's well put together. He he looks like a man of science, I will say. And his name is Moss, Dr. Moss. And, you know, his studies are parapsychology. And he's going to, you know, dive into something that he's, you know, he's discovered. An archaeologist forwarded him this box and it's filled with native script. And there's an artifact inside and he's going to open this up. Now, this artifact is something that, uh, you know, previous civilizations have used and he's going to talk all about it and he's going to um going to go back in time to you know maybe thousands of years ago you know previous to this where you know they had a primitive era where you know uh things were a little bit different and this is where we meet Toxel. What do, what do you think what do you think of Dr. Moss so far? So you know he's in his room, you know he's standing there, he's got his arm on the globe. So you know if you were a scholar back in the day, Bill, you know, you, you would know that, you know, you had to have your globe and have your hand on it to make you seem like you were super intelligent. Yeah. And you definitely need glasses and he has those as well, you know, but <laughs> um, he's well put together that man. If I remember correctly, I haven't looked at it in a while, but that magazine spirit world uh, where these uh, stories were supposed to be in the second issue I think they had kind of a, a similar setup where it was, you know, somebody like this, Dr. Moss, uh, telling like a story, you know, a bit of a lead in to, you know, some oh, crazy so, story. So yeah. he's a narrative character. He's the guy who tells yep. all these stories. Is that how this works? I, I think there's at least one other story with him in it in that spirit world as well, or someone, a figure uh, like him. Ab- I think so. Absolutely. So everybody has to have their basically the Rod Serling of, of, you know, the Twilight Zone, somebody who weaves us into these weird tales. You know what I mean? And and I've always liked that when Mm -hmm. I was a kid, you know, sitting at home, you know, back in the day and, you know, weird uh, black and white Twilight Zone editions would come on. You'd hear, you know, Rod Serling and he's doing the the crazy Mm -hmm. intros, you know, absolutely terrifying with his voice. And, you know, it always got me. So I, I, I dig the fact we have a narrator here. So it's pretty cool just to open up the scene. Yeah. And two things I want to just mention quick before we move on. I totally brain farted here. Uh, <laughs> Toxel, the world killer. Uh, in the actual book, it just mentions story and pencils by Jack Kirby, inks by Mike Royer, who's my yeah. favorite Kirby inker, uh, letters by Ben Oda. But I guess at some point, uh, the you know one of Kirby's best buds there, uh, Mark Evanier, at some point chimed in and said that uh, I think he actually scripted this story. So I think it was Kirby's idea, but he actually scripted it. So uh-huh. there, I, th- I thought it was that. a little a, a little a little dense for Mister Kirby. Yeah, and I do love purple prose too. So I love that very first page, <laughs> the bottom right panel, when uh, you know Doctor Moss is uh, telling us about this artifact. Then we see this. Uh, this group here and it says prehistoric bodies respond to a primitive beat and though the dance be ceremonial by inception its purpose now is immediately vital to the people 
the existence of their tribe hangs precariously. <laughs> yes. Love it. Yeah, it's really detailed. And I love this opening splash page. This would be oh. a nice piece of original art to start with. So let, let's set it up. So you get Toxel, the world killer. And, you know, they've got his name in bold. It's in green. It's in red. And, you know, they've, they've got a little thing that says Toxel rules the Arax. Is that what that's how they pronounce that? I believe so. Yeah. The Arax, by virtue of his warrior prowess, the position has never been carried any luxury. Now, its responsibilities are awesome. Toxel's eyes look past the sleek dancing girls and focus upon the plant. Its origin is obscure, but its technology dwarfs all that the Arax know. So they are actually looking at a place called the plant, which is basically a large factory-like thing. So, you know, it looks like Toxel's group are like a group of... It almost looks futuristic barbarians. Would you not say that? Yes, it does look like a mix. It looks like a mix of like Conan and something futuristic. and Almost, almost like Masters a mix of, of Conan. Universe. Yeah, Conan and Masters of the Universe or like even the fourth world. Like it's very, yeah. it does look very old school and futuristic mashed together. I love it. This page is just absolutely crazy. I would love to own this. Oh, my so gosh. What you, what you see here, you see Toxel, the world killer, and he's sort of crouched down. And you have a dancing girl and, you know, uh, making her way towards this plant. And you have, you know, some Pied Pipers in the background, you know, playing a little song as the girl dances. And Toxel is just this big beast of a man. He's got this blue, almost futuristic helmet. He's got this giant mohawk a la Omac from D.C., uh, Toxel carries this giant weapon, and it's not like an old medieval weapon. This is this is what thinks that, you know, is this in the past? Is this in the future? It could be a combination of both because you get to see mm -hmm. some great Kirby tech here. The design elements just within, you know, just just his blade. So it, it's basically it looks like a <clears throat> what would you call it? Almost like a club, except it's filled with, you know, Kirby tech all the way up through. It's got almost like little finger holes, finger slots in the bottom. Then it's got this mm -hmm. big, almost bayonet-style knife on the top, and it's it's really something to behold. But, uh, yeah, Toxel looks badass, man. Yeah, he looks scary, and it almost looks like uh, immediately to the right there of uh, where he is on the page, Big Barda's dancing for him there. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, Kirby had exactly two women that he would draw, Big Barda and Sue Storm, and he just alternated them. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's in her bikini going to town there, which is pretty cool. And then, you know, he does, uh, you know, you get to that next page, and he stands up, and yeah, a couple of his buddies are there. It's like, hey, let's uh, let's go get the guards. It's time. And he's like, hey, calm down we need yep. to wait for the right time here boys like he's he's very methodical where they're getting a little jumpy so so what's going on here so you get to see this big factory they call the plant and you know there's emissions coming out of that thing and it looks like toxel and his guys are trying to trick the guards so they have like perimeter guards that are protecting the plant now toxel looks like he sent out his ladies to do some dancing to uh you know, <laughs> the mines of these particular guards. So, you know, they're, they're completely off their game. They don't see Toxel and his group of barbarians creeping up behind them, but they are shortly going to find out that, uh, you know, the dancing girls are uh, probably the least of their worries because they're going to get some hurt real quick. <laughs> yeah. And that bottom panel where the girls are dancing and the two uh, guards are in the background watching the guy that's sitting on the ground. Uh, he looks like he's getting real worked up and I can't see his left hand. All right, oh. but anyway, we, we don't need to go there. 
that, Moving that on. man needs a that man needs a tube sock. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden I'm looking I'm like, what is that guy up to? I thought, you know what? I'm not even gonna go there. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, good old Toxel here. He he waits till the last second and then uh yeah, oh he picks that like weapon up and oh man, this is pretty nasty. He comes right at the one guy and clobbers oh, man, when, him when with they, it. When when they attack, and I mean, they call them barbarians. You know what I mean? The guards call these folks barbarians, and we, and we'll see that this world that Toxel lives in is is definitely a divided class based system because you know there's definitely a hierarchy, and I think the you know the upper crust of society exists within the plant, and uh, you know Toxel's men who's uh, who we find out a little bit later their world has been taken over by these. Uh, uh, I guess predators. These these scientists have taken over their world, and Toxel is about to take it back. And he's got the his group of barbarians, as they're called, uh, and they're about to uh, to hit the plant. Yeah, and I just oh man, that uh, second those middle panels there. He's swinging that weapon, and the blade is headed right for a guy's face. It looks pretty oh, nasty. Man. Oh yeah, they're pulling no punches here, and you get to see. I mean, they're they're flat out killing people here. They're you know they're mm -hmm. not defending themselves. They are attacking, and they want to get inside this plant. And they're not worried about a few guards on the perimeter. But one thing that Toxel holds up, and this is this is important because it's mm -hmm. uh, it plays to the end of this whole thing. Uh, once he kills some of the guards, he holds aloft triumphantly one of the guards' weapons. He took the key. So he went inside the guard's uniform and he took the key and, and you know, he has it in his hands. It's almost like it is a weapon itself. And once he has the key, he knows that he can access the plant. And then the orders go out, attack, attack. We can enter the plant. And then you get to see everybody, all Toxel's men in pure Kirby glory. I mean, all the, uh, you know... You're you're really seeing Kirby on display here because you know the helmets, the the attire are signature Kirby. You know what I mean? And there they have the mm -hmm. splash panel where Toxel is jumping in the air, and all his goons are flowing behind him, and they're attacking, and it's cool. Yeah, the the weapons, the armor. There's just such detail in everything. I just, oh, it's unbelievable, and you know it looks very Kirby. So yes, Mike Royer did a great job with the inking, but. Oh, yeah. you know, this looks like something Kirby himself could have penciled and inked as well. So they you know, can't so take Kirby, nothing Kirby, away from either guy. Looks great. Kirby, Kirby's style is interesting because, you know, you'll see a lot of geometric shapes. Like he uses a lot of like circles. He uses a lot of line art and just black waves. So just signature lines that he just weaves through. It creates almost like a shine on armor or it creates like a almost like a. Uh, you know, a decoration on the uniform. You know what I mean? He really, really mm -hmm. uses basic geometric shapes to to just add detail, and it's, it's damn cool. And I don't know if any other artist can pull this off the way Kirby did it without looking cheesy. You know what I mean? But this is this is all 100% Kirby right here. Interesting. Yeah, it looks fantastic. It's just no matter what page or what panel you look at, there, there's really no. I wouldn't understand any kind of critique, but you know, again, that's why he's Kirby and we're not. <laughs> Correct. Um, but yeah, they come blasting into this plate, you know, this plant now because they had the key to get in. So they're just like, here we go. And I love how the these prissy guys, one of them sitting there and he's, <laughs> oh, he's smoking something. It's like a wacky looking pipe. And the guy's like, the natives. And he's like, they're attempting to crash the West Gate. Do we open fire on them? And the guy's like, 
I suppose so. That's why we installed the turrets to keep them out. Give the order. <laughs> and and I like what he says after. So he's, you know, he completely doesn't buy that these natives are even a threat. And he tells the guy who comes in and advise the third echelon to accelerate on its project. So he basically he's saying, oh, yeah, we have these pesky natives at our door. But tell the people on the third floor to pick up the productivity, will you? That's basically what's happening here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's an it's an interesting dichotomy here, too, because, you know, you've got, you know, Toxel and his savages, which are all, you know, chain mail armor, you know, shields and, you know, axes and all this type of stuff. And inside the plant, everyone is dressed in these almost lush robes with, you know, two tone colors, the greens and the yellows. And then, you know, the line work, which I was talking about, like the decor element of a costume is nice and free flowing. So, you know, you have the separation mm-hmm. of the almost like the vest and then a line that almost like the Adidas tracksuit goes up the arm <laughs> in a nice swirl fashion. And, you know, yeah. everybody is so, you know, just so dressed up and you have these barbarians are going around basically in their underwear with, with barely a tatter on attacking the plant, which is funny. Mm. Yeah, it's great. They really start going to town and then, you know, some of the people inside realize like, oh crap, this is worse than we thought it was. And, I love how you go to that next page there. Well, nobody anticipated that they had a key, which just works the first time. Yeah, so, I mean, how heavily guarded is this plant when someone can just take this one key and just access this entire plant, which is, you know, houses, you know, huge, huge destructive science in here, so. Mm -hmm. And then we get some guy in, like, one of those turrets that uh, the snobby guy spoke of, and he starts going to town, and there's another guy that has, like, a grenade and chucks it in the turret. And then, wow, that panel there, like I said, I think it's page six. Blam! And it shows the explosion. How great is that panel? It's like a small oh. panel that looks fantastic. Well, we're, we're going to see Kirby, you know, Kirby explosions on display a little bit later because there's a splash page when, uh, you know, some stuff happens in this book that uh, that is absolutely exceptional. And, you know, just another piece of, of classic art that I just love to own. But anyway, they they open up the door. They they actually use the little key they stole off the guard. Toxel opens it up. You know, he lets all his people in. Now they're asking. As soon as they come in, they go, where is the hell pit? And everybody's yeah. panicking. You know, the guards are saying, oh, my God, the savages have broken <laughs> in. Secure the machinery. Sound the alarm. And then Toxel is just arms raised. He's just, you know, victorious here. He says, come fight that the Arax may live in peace. So, you know, I guess the Arax are their people. They are the Arax. Mm-hmm. Is that is that what this is? I would I believe. think so, yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then so I like they, his buddy they, there on the left choking that guy, and he's got the thing, the weapon in the air that he's going to kill the guy. Where's the help in? Talk. And I'm like, you're choking him. You're about to bash his head in. <laughs> oh, boy, this is this is next level. So the guy who's in the turret, so you get one of these, see these, one of these guys, He's in the turret, and they're just trying to gun down, you know, Toxel's people. But you get to see this one guy, and you said, like, he throws a grenade. Obviously, that's one of Toxel's boys who's doing that, or is that one of... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he yeah, blows yeah, yeah. Up. So they come armed, so they're, they're here, and they don't only have just, you know, medieval spears and bows and arrows. These guys are coming with grenades. You know, they're charging the Bastille with, uh, with vehicles. So, I mean, they come prepared. These aren't your average run-of-the-mill barbarians or savages. You know, I think the, uh, the fine scientists inside the plant have, uh, have severely underestimated the natives of the planet. And, boy, are they about to wreak havoc. 
Yeah, they had a good plan coming in here. It wasn't, you know, they, they like you said, they kind of treated them like ignorant savages, but uh, they underestimated them because Toxel and his guys had a good plan of action. To, you know, like you said, get that key and get in there. And then, you know, it's just uh, they seem to be very motivated because they're, you know, sick and tired of being, you know, under the boot heel of these people. So they're motivated and pissed off and they have the weapons to get it done. So, yeah, it's not going to be good for these guys. <laughs> And then we then we get a shot as as Toxel and his goons are just, you know, just destroying the entire plant. You go downstairs into the engineering room and you get to see a very, very snobbish group of engineers. <laughs> I mean, they're all like, alert everyone. I think we're in danger. Yes, mm-hmm. I hear yelling up there. You can hear it. Those savages are attacking. You know what I mean? Like they're just, oh my, we can't be bothered. We're just being attacked. Must they, must they attack on this day? You know what I mean? Like they're, oh, yeah. they're just, they're totally uh, beside themselves that these savages can, can break in and do any damage at all. You know, I, I guess they thought they were an invincible compound and they're about to find out that uh, there's no safety inside this plant. Let's tell you. But they're mm-hmm. they're yeah, in charge. They are trying to find something called the Hell Pit. So this is this is an interesting concept. Yeah, these people are very arrogant. The one guy says, "True, they've broken in. I doubt they can get this far." But sound the alert. <laughs> and then the one the one old dude, alert everyone. I think we're in danger. So there might be one you know kind of smart person amongst them all. But here they come, smashing through a door. <laughs> mm, crazy. They, they, they really bust in here. And Toxel's leading the charge. He knows exactly where to go. So he's trying to look for this hell pit. He says, the mm-hmm. hell pit is their soul. They destroyed our land. We shall destroy their soul. So he knows he's almost there. So they're going from room to room to find this hell pit. And finally, he breaks into one of the, the rooms. He breaks down the door and he sees this hell pit. So the hell pit looks like almost like a glass covered floor and underneath the glass is all kinds of energy. So red, you know, red and Kirby signature dots all the way around it. So there's, you know, some energy source below a glass floor. And of course, Toxel, without thinking, he simply just smashes the floor. He says, (laughs) finally, I can drive my blade deep that these demons be driven off. And he smashes the floor. Well, that turns out to be a little bit of a mistake because he annihilates the entire planet <laughs> he unleashes mass destruction. So, you know, as as well laid of plans as Toxel think he has, maybe complete another annihilation of his entire planet. Maybe wasn't in the cards. Uh, hey, listen, he at least he he did two things. He did get his people out from under the boot heel. So you can't fault him there. And he reduced unemployment there to zero. So <laughs> Toxel, Toxel's a man of the people. <laughs> yeah, yep. he, uh, he, he, but I'll tell you what. So you get to see this, this explosion. Oh and the my gosh. It's just unbelievable. The entire world is cracking. You get to see giant clouds. You get to see all kinds of energy streaming. I mean, this place is being absolutely decimated. And then you get to see winds as they just completely blow everything over. Everything is shattered by these great winds. And of course, you know, tidal waves take over because, you know, the massive explosion causes giant tidal waves. Everything just buried beneath like fire, wind and floods is just, you know, he, he just completely annihilates this planet. And then all of a sudden we're back to Dr. Moss. 
Hmm. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna tell us what his theory is on this. Uh, but yeah, again, that splash page, incredible. Kirby <laughs> can make you know just an exploding planet look like you know <laughs> it would take somebody else a month to draw it, and he probably did it in five <laughs> minutes. Crazy, crazy amount of artwork. But yeah, oh yeah, we got some more exposition here. It's you know we still see on the next page or the last page, I should say, a little bit more of the explosion happening, and it says whatever the foreigners in Toxel's land had been tapping from the bowels of the earth now roars uncontrolled across the globe of pre-recorded history cities great and small are shattered by giant winds and then you see there's like you know a city is smashed all over the place water raising up like a giant wave coming almost like he you know it was almost like a nuke going off that was strong enough to blow oh, yeah. up the entire planet boy oh boy this uh, yeah it it is absolutely massive so mm-hmm. after all this destruction then we're back with dr moss and you know mm-hmm. he's he's still got that arc that um that um the artifact I, there the artifact yeah then the artifact turns out to be it looks like the same key looks like the very key that toxel used to open up the plant is it not is that what he has in his hand i believe so yeah and it's funny uh on the digital version here he looks like he got a little sunburn since the first page or two we saw <laughs> dr moss there he's looking a little red but he it's he does say something interesting here and it that this is why when i read this i kind of had that thor Ragnarok fourth world uh, vibe going on in my head because Dr. Moss says, how often has this cycle been repeated as if, you know, this this ultimate destruction has happened multiple times. And we know Kirby was a huge fan of that, you know, uh, that lore. And I think I think each one of these stories, these anthology stories, especially when I mentioned like stuff like uh, House of Mystery and The Twilight Zone by Gold Key. Everything had a point. You know what I mean? It's trying to get across a message. It was almost like He-Man, where, you know, you always had to have that message that, you know, He-Man was trying to teach us. And Dr. Moss here is trying to tell us, basically, we are doomed to repeat history over and over and over. And humanity always manages to survive. They get back on their feet. They rebuild. And all of a sudden we hit this cycle again. So do we ever learn really, I, I think is the, uh, is the message here. And he, he says something really cool. He says, is this artifact, you know, something out of the future, but it comes from the past or is the entire episode out of our future. So, you know, basically are we looking into a crystal ball of, you know, of uh, what we could expect in the future? You know, our past basically is our future and we're always destined to repeat it, I think is the, the message mm-hmm. here. So. Very, very, yeah. very cool story. What do you think? Yeah, and I, I love it because I do find it interesting that when Kirby was working for the big companies and he was on like, you know, a Fantastic Four or, you know, a, a title where, you know, there were certain constraints there, his artwork and, you know, even you can say his plotting and his mind was still way, way ahead of everyone else's. Ooh. But he was still usually just doing, you know, like a superhero story. And even if there was sometimes a moral to the story or whatever, but it seemed like whenever he had a little bit more free reign to do what he wanted to do, like we said with the, you know, the stuff later on in his life. And but then even something like this, you know, he was really trying to not only, you know, draw a great comic and tell a great story visually, but he was always trying to put something in there to make you think as well when he had his own way, you know, when he had free reign to do what he wanted to do. You you can see that in almost everything he did that wasn't, you know, more of the corporate style of a, a comic book title. And one thing about Kirby's design in this one, and we'll move to the next story after, but um, a little less, I think Kirby has like, 
we've, we've got a set idea of what we think Kirby is. It's the tech, it's the, you know, the crazy design, the celestial style look to a lot of his, his visions. And here where he's actually just drawing humans, mm-hmm. you know, you get a more clean Kirby. It's not, it's a lot less angular. You know, he's trying to draw them as humans and that it's a pretty cool, uh, it's a pretty cool vibe. I got to say. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something too, you know, some of uh, it's sometimes it's hard to find these older books in, uh, you know, good shape. And when you do find them, sometimes the prices are kind of out of control, but, uh, oh, yeah. this, this, yeah, this story was reprinted a couple of times. I guess there was, uh, in 2012, there was a reprint of that spirit world, that magazine that I said, I have, I guess they reprinted that magazine. And then all this other stuff that was supposed to be in the second issue as well. So, you can get it that way, and then I guess there's a DC Universe uh, Bronze Age Omnibus by Jack Kirby, and it's in there as well. So a couple of different ways to get it. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's move on to the second story here, and this one's crazy. Uh, oh, I don't know that there's a moral okay. to this story. I think it's just bonkers. <laughs> it's, um, this one should be, if you're if you're reading this one, put on Alanis Morissette Ironic. And, uh, you know, <laughs> a little too yeah. ironic. Don't you think? So basically, <laughs> so this whole idea is a, or this whole concept is about the Titanic. Now, if you're not familiar mm-hmm. with the Titanic, it's a luxury, you know, a luxury cruise ship that uh, that you know sadly hit an iceberg, and you know, a large percentage of the the people who were on board perished in the cold mm-hmm. waters just off of Newfoundland, which I happen to live. <laughs> I have not seen the Titanic. There you go. But uh, this particular story is about a survivor who's, you know, whose parents perished on the on the the Titanic and the son, the young son actually survives. Now, he lives his life in pure, you know, unadulterated horror of the water because, you know, his parents have perished and he does everything to avoid a watery grave. And boy, uh, you know, as as with uh, with all horror anthology books, things don't end well. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's get into it. So really, really awesome splash page. So you get to see destiny. Now, destiny, I guess, is the, uh, the weird mystery tales, uh, I guess, mascot. Host. Yeah. Yeah. The host. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so it's destiny. Like did with their house of mystery house of secrets. They had those hosts. Yeah. Yep. Love that. I love that. It's pretty cool. So he's just like a shrouded, you know, just a guy with a cloak on with the, with the hat up and his face is sort of shrouded in, uh, uh, in shadow. But now the cool mm-hmm. image right here, and, you know, it's uh, script and art by Howard Purcell and inks mm-hmm. by Jack Abel. And, you know, some mm-hmm. really, really, really cool art in this. And we get to see the Titanic. It's in the water. You know, you got the uh, just an edge of the iceberg in front of it showing its perilous, you know, perilous journey headed straight to the iceberg. You get to see the word Titanic and gigantic, almost like a wall surrounding it in a really cool graphic. And, of course... The Grim Reaper is just above the lettering, and he's looking down on the Titanic with the skull face and the skull fingers, and just an ominous, ominous, uh, really, really cool-looking visual. What do you think? Oh, yeah, this splash page is awesome. I love it. It's very simple, but it Mm -hmm. does its job very well, so I love it. So it's all about the the Titanic itself was considered unsinkable. So as uh, you know, that's that's almost... uh, you know, predicting its demise, because when you say something <laughs> is completely unsinkable or unbeatable, then, you know, at, at some point it's going to be put to the test. So, you know, we start in, I guess, 1912. So it's April 10th and, you know, it's on its maiden voyage. And of course it was. It was the first time. So how did they one question I have for you, Billy? 
How do they know that the Titanic was unsinkable if they never if they never ever put the ship to the ocean? How how have they ever tested that? Yeah, really. Uh, it's it's called hubris. <laughs> they had a bunch exactly. of dummies, and they they thought they uh, built this because it was big. They thought it was unsinkable. And I did read a couple of times too that yeah, they said that uh, you know they built this ship, but they built it very quickly. And I guess there's been some historians that said it wasn't built. It was, I'm trying to think of how they worded it. It was kind of built. I want, I don't want to say out of junk, but it, it definitely wasn't top of the line material. And it was built way too quickly. So that's well, kind of what led to for, it. Just for perspective, this, this title actually says it was 882 feet. It was four city blocks long with a displacement <laughs> of uh, 66,000 tons, the Titanic turned for the open sea and her decks lined with excited passengers. So this thing is four city blocks in metal form on the ocean. And now you, now you think about that. Four crazy. city blocks floating on the water. That's that's just crazy. And then we get to meet, they do a little great visual. So, you know, they show some of the people who were involved. We get to see Guggenheim, a, uh, you know, a very wealthy man. We get to see the Strausses. You know, this is the upper crust of society on this thing. You know, the yeah. Countess of Rosse, Rothschild, you know, J uh, John Jacob Astor. And all these are very professional looking people, you know, I mean, very distinguished. And of course, you get to see, you know, the subject of our story. Mr. and Mrs. George Baldwin and their son, Gary. And this whole book is about, or this whole story is all about good old Gary. And something mm -hmm. about the art I wanted, wanted to talk about. So, you know, the art is by Howard Purcell and Jack Abel on inks. Some of this art, particularly the, the figure work, looks like something out of like a classics illustrated or something. Like, a, you know what I mean? Just a very almost photo reference style, but yet still like a comic book form. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's pretty good. It definitely, I don't, haven't seen a ton of Jack Abel. I know for sure he inked one of the, oh, maybe first like 12 or 15, something like that. I think it might be issue 12 somewhere in there of uh, he inked Gene Colan on Tomb of Dracula. And they weren't a, a very good pencil and ink combination, I will say that. But this is very good. He does a good job here uh, with uh, inking Howard Purcell. Very good. I like it. It's, you know. It's not, you know, the level of Kirby, obviously, the, the story before, but it's still pretty darn good. I like it. The ship looks great. Like you said, the, the, the figures look great. It's pretty good. Yeah, it is. It, it's very of its time. And, uh, you know, I, I think it really captures the 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 essence, I guess, of what we're looking for here in this story. So anyway, mm -hmm. we're, we're back here and you got Gary and, you know, Gary's on board with his mom and dad. And he's really, really. You know, he's really entranced at the size of it. Look at the big smokestacks, Daddy. Oh, my goodness. Like, he really, really loves this ship. And his father is telling him that, you know, the, all this, the lore of the Titanic, largest ship in the world, and she's unsinkable. Anyway, <laughs> the later that evening, the parents want to go down, and they want to, you know, go partying in the main salon. So they put little Gary to bed. In the meantime, we get to see that the... Uh, the fine folks, the, the captain, has received a message that uh, there are icebergs in the area. And he says, very well, men, keep a sharp lookout, like you would. <laughs> uh -huh. And of yeah. course, right away, they almost, they almost hit the iceberg, but they dodge it just, you know, just a second. But all would be too late. And she, she runs afoul, and the engine room blows up, and the Titanic is in danger. Now, 
am I right in saying that this one actually missed the iceberg altogether? Is this what happens here? Yeah, I think how they explain it is that, you know, it's the the part of the iceberg that's under the water is uh, what ripped it, ripped it apart. Yeah. Yeah. And so the engine room explodes and then they have to make that fatal decision to get everybody off. And, you know, you get to see a guy there. He's at the lifeboats and he's, you know, he's got his gun out trying to force people back. And he's saying, women, children first, stand back. And, you know, mm-hmm. you get to see the tragic scene with Gary and his father and his mother. And, you know, he's he's trying to get Gary into the lifeboat to save his son. And he's saying, you'll be safe, Gary. I'll join you soon. I've got now I've got to find your mother. And he says, promise me one thing. Stay away from the water. My grandfather, my father, both drowned at sea. Promise me. <laughs> and, poor, and, poor Gary, and poor Gary says, I, I, I promise, Dad. And then, of course, the Titanic she runs or she runs a foul, Billy, and she goes mm. down. And poor Billy's yeah. in the lifeboat with his ham hand out. Mommy, daddy. And some cretin in the uh, in the boat goes, hush, poor child. I mean, your parents are dying, man. Can you can you not have some bedside manner here? Yeah, that's great. I mean, you and you see the ship. It's completely, you know, up and down. It's completely vertical. <laughs> it's done for. It's done for. Yeah, and I'm, I love how he promises his dad, and then literally, you know, he lied. <laughs> he, he doesn't stay away. He doesn't stay Boy. away from the water. <laughs> oh, it's almost like he's having a game of truth or dare, man. This guy, this guy's crazy. But yeah, fortunately, yeah, like I mean, the the yeah. first time I get it, he's probably horny because he's like a young teenager here, and some hot chick is like, "Hey, let's go swimming or something." He's like, "Well, okay," and oh no, I'm gonna drown. I, I get that, but the rest of the time, forget it. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Well, well, luckily, the fine folks, the, the few people that survived in the lifeboats, they're picked up by the Carpathia. You know, mm-hmm. one of the captains, another boat picks them up and Gary is saved. So, you know, we, we did have some. But now, years later, we get to see that Gary, you know, he gets raised by his Aunt Alice, you know, his father's sister. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden you get to see that, you know, every stage of his life is affected by this tragedy. So even at the age of 12, he's ice skating. And of course, Gary falls right through the ice immediately, but mm-hmm. they save him. You know, he can't understand why he crashed through the ice because the ice was six inches thick. My God. And we know six inches is huge, Billy. Huge. <laughs> well, I'm thinking maybe it wasn't six at that part, pal. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, then you get to see years pass and, you know, he dodged a bullet there with the ice. So not only did he survive the Titanic, he survives a plunge through the ice and now He's got his hot girlfriend, and she said, Oh, come on in, Gary. I want to teach you how to swim. Don't be an old sis. <laughs> and Gary's pondering. He's like, Oh, well. And of course, what happens to poor Gary? He gets caught in the undertow. He's drowning, and everybody panics. But luckily, when do you tell him what happens to him, Billy? Well, I mean, at least he didn't get sand kicked in his face by a bully. But <laughs> That's exactly what that scene looked like right there. It looked like he <laughs> yeah, was going to be... Eating some Charles Atlas dirt right there. Yeah, but no, he's lucky enough that there's a little boat going by. You know, it almost looks like uh, Quint, you know, searching for Jaws and him and a couple of his uh, homies pick him up there. And he says, I'm never going near water again, which is, you know, is sort of true. He says he won't do it, but, you know, he gets a little older and he uh, is working and his boss says to him, hey, uh, I need you to uh, fly to uh, England because there's uh, going to be a film going on over there. I don't know if he wants him to, he's part of the production or director or something like that. So he's like, 
I'm not taking no boat over there. And he's like, all right, fine. Take an airplane. So, okay. The airplane doesn't go in the water, but it does go over the water. <laughs> Boy, this, this Gary just doesn't think things through at all. Does he? No. So poor Gary. Yeah. So they're flying over on the plane and uh, the plane gets hit by lightning. It hits the motor. So the motor goes out and the plane <laughs> crashes. And I like how the pilots, uh, one of them, Looks like he has like a face on that he ate some like bad fish on the plane or something here. The one in the background <laughs> and the one in the foreground looks like he has his, uh, I don't know, he's, he's like grunting almost as if he's, you know, uh, he needs to take some uh, Metamucil or something. <laughs> he's, he's a little backed up or something. He, he looks like he's about to pinch a 12 inch friendly right there. I think <laughs> he oh, dropped man. the kids off at the pool. <laughs> <laughs> the large kid. <laughs> but yeah crash oh, the plane goes right in the water what's funny about this artwork is that you get to see like it it differs drastically so you can tell that they're using a little bit of photo reference early in the book because when left to his own devices the uh the artwork is pretty horrible <laughs> yeah this page looks vastly different so i don't know is it yeah was he like you said using some kind of reference and now he's just all doing it on his own or is this, yeah, I think this, you know, maybe I think this, this is the product of what we're seeing here, because even take a look at the water. So just take a look when he goes into the water and there's this one small panel where he's just floating in the water and you get to see the waves. And this looks like something that a, you know, a two year old would draw. If you said here, draw the ocean and this is what they would draw. Just a series of peaks with just some, you know, just some light coloring in the water. It's yeah, really, then... really. Yeah. Yeah, and the panel to the right there, too, where he's in the water and the water's like coming up over his face. It looks like shaving cream or something on him. It does, man. It's like really <laughs> odd. What, what kind of water are you in, dude? Like, I, mm -hmm. I, 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 question, I question what you're swimming in here at this point, basically. <laughs> yeah, maybe a whale, maybe a couple of horny whales were just in the area or something. But <laughs> yeah, it's and then on, on the very next page, too, look at Gary's face like as he's trying to get out of the water and he's holding onto an iceberg there. It doesn't even look anything like his face looked like, you know, two pages ago. Exactly right. So the art is all over the place. Now, Gary is fortunate because has, uh, you know, cue the uh, Alanis Morissette music. Isn't it ironic that he finds an iceberg, maybe the same iceberg that destroyed the Titanic 43 years ago. And what would <laughs> happen to be on that iceberg, but the RMS Titanic safety preserver yes it's a life mm -hmm. preserver with like literally left on the iceberg the one directly from the <laughs> titanic so he takes the ancient preserver and it keeps him afloat until he's rescued again so gary has dodged yet another bullet now one of the interesting notes you know the editor he returns home to new york and you know he's greeted by the press they can't believe it you know not only did he survive the titanic but he survived again you know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's just it's just this crazy story. And why don't you tell them about that editor's note down there? Well, yeah, it's interesting. It says editor's note. The story was carried by all the major newspapers of the day. Date September 23rd, 1950. Mm, what a weird editor's note. I wonder is there truth to that? Yeah, I don't know. It's very it strange because when you look up this guy's name, I couldn't find anything that said like, oh, yes, this guy was a survivor. I couldn't find it. Okay, so it's all crap, but it, but it's a but it's a weird <laughs> editor's note. What a what a weird deal. Yeah, it's a little bizarre and it's interesting. So now he thinks he's invincible, 
he thinks, well, I beat the curse because I survived drowning in the ocean and I found this, you know, life preserver. So he's like, now instead of being afraid of the water, you know, I'm just going to get a boat and sail around. Uh, and it's going to be says, great. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to yeah. learn to swim. I'm going to buy a sailboat for the first time in my life. I have no fear of the water. Well, by God, he bites the biscuit. Gary actually dies. I mean, I guess less than a year later since this proclamation, he actually, the, the, a copy of the Times, a picture of the newspaper says, prominent author, producer, drowns off Long Island. An unusual way, 15 feet, swamped several small craft in the afternoon, and Gary Baldwin was lost at sea, survivor of the Titanic. How about that for fate, brother, right there? And then you get to see the Grim Reaper happily waving, almost with the middle finger in the air at poor Gary. <laughs> Trying to do a thumbs up here. Hey, Gary. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, he took some honey out on a boat, and that was the end. Now, did she survive? Because it doesn't say anything about her. So I'm thinking, did she survive now or what? Yeah, I guess it was only poor Gary. Now I guess she's she is haunted by the imagery here, and so so this was a this was a little bit of a mixed bag. So we started that at the gate with a very you know very very cool looking Kirby uh, Kirby vibe, and then we head into this one. Now I did like the story, real you know Twilight Zone sort of sort of material, but the artwork here is just bizarre. It's up and down. It's all over the place. You know we get some mm -hmm. really cool shots in here. There's some good. Like I would say page work in here at some point. Some of the visuals are nice of the Titanic, the opening splash page, you know, the part where the boat is sinking, all great visuals. But just some of the character work is just staggeringly bad here. So, I mean, I did enjoy the story, though, but uh, just 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 all over the place here. I think a mixed bag. Yeah, it didn't get better as it went on. That's for sure. This yeah. story, <laughs> you know, but yeah, like you said, it's as far as the whole book goes, man, when you start out with a a Kirby story like that, you can, you can really, you can have even a stinker in the back and it doesn't matter. <laughs> and just, just something unique. You know what I mean? It's not even Kirby drawing some of his own characters. It's Toxel. So it's just something new, you know, the world killer, you know, I, w I would like to see more Toxel, even though he blew himself to pieces. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 That would be cool. You could almost do, I don't know about an ongoing, but you could have, you know, kept going with that if the whole planet wouldn't have blown up. Way to go, Toxel. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, he found, uh, you know, he found the hell pit and blew everybody to hell along the way. So, you know, it's just it's just ironic tales that you see in some of these anthologies. You know, what lesson do you think that Gary learned? What do you what do you think the lesson that Gary learned here? Not to be too confident or to be, you know, always cautious. Well, I think the I think my takeaway is that uh, always keep your promises. So, you know, he mm -hmm. promised his father that he would stay away from the sea, and he made that promise. And when he finally broke it intentionally, that's when he bit the biscuit. All the other ones were, you know, by chance, almost giving him a warning. See, don't go skating on the ice. You can fall through. You know, don't get in a plane going over the water. You're going to crash. You know, there's so many warnings. But when he did intentionally finally break the promise willingly— then, then it was his time to go. So, you know, broken promises are never good, Billy. Yeah, he should have just moved to like the West somewhere in the, like a <laughs> desert climate where there's like no water anywhere to be found. He needs <laughs> he to move to the out prairie, there. sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Move out there where it's dry. There's not a river or lake or anything anywhere near you, Gary. <laughs> uh, I, I, oh, I, I, man. 
And you can't have enough uh, good old horror anthologies. Always, always a win. Really, really short, fun stories. And uh, let me tell you something. 2022 could use a lot more of this style of story writing. I love it. Yeah, so yeah, that was it. So Weird Mystery Tales number two. So like I said, I'm reading this on the app. And there is actually uh, a few issues from this series on the app. I only own maybe about five or six of them. And I don't actually own this one. But I think the first three have Kirby stories in them. So again, if you're a you know a Kirby fan, you're a completist. If you don't want to get one of those collections and you want to get the singles, get I think it's the first three. But uh, or you know you can read them if you uh, have the app. So that's always an option too. But yep, yeah, good stuff overall. Thumbs up uh, from me because just you know based off of uh, King Kirby alone there. So all right, my friend. So let's transition here. So what is going on with you? I know you and I were talking beforehand too. You know, you've got uh, a blog and you do some podcasting as well, you know, guesting and stuff like that. So uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Oh yeah, my God. Listen, if, if you're looking for some, uh, for more Chris Bailey, I'm always on Twitter just hanging out. And I'll tell you what, I, re- I really dig nostalgia. So I'm a big nostalgia guy. I have a blog called The Superhero Satellite and it's just basically me just ranting about my time growing up in the 80s. And all the nostalgia that goes into it. So I talk about, you know, all the fun stuff that happened there. My comic book habit. Uh, I talk about, you know, my my love of professional wrestling. Uh, 80s cartoons. Who didn't love cartoons back in the day? Anything, you know, the the candy, the fun, the cereal, you know, everything you could possibly do. I, I'm, I'm a huge nostalgia fan. And I and I wrap myself almost like in a cocoon. Uh, you know, in my in my real life, I like to collect, you know, vintage toys. I'm a comic book collector to this day. Uh, you know, I try to mitigate my collection to not new stuff, but just stuff that I grew up with. And, uh, you know, most recently I got some uh, Battlestar Galactica stuff that I'm really, really mm. proud of. Uh, v is always a is, is a big deal for me. And you're going to see some new V podcasts coming out. Uh, uh, with me featured as well. So, you know, I, I hang around on a, on a few podcasts, but I'll tell you what, the easiest way to get a hold of me is over on Twitter at Charlton underscore hero. I'm that underscore guy. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, but I'm also over on the uh, W2M network with Mr. Mark Radlich. I do some, uh, sometimes some comic book work. I also do some uh, pro wrestling coverage as well. Uh, you'll find me over on the Wizards uh, podcast. And you can also find me on the Wizards Guide uh, podcast guide to comics over with Mr. Adam. Um, we also cover, you know, all kinds of craziness over with the with the Wizards gang. We did some bad girls from the 90s. We did some Hitman coverage most recently and just having a blast there. And, uh, you know, what? from time to time, I team up with uh, Mr. Chris Sheehan for any ventures that we put our mind to as well. So lots on lots to go on the plate as well and uh you know if you're really really into me over on the w2m network you'll find my own uh four-part podcast series that i've been doing i've got three parts up right now it's called the superhero satellite podcast the same name as my blog so if you google either one of it chances are you may run into it but uh yeah some good stuff there so talking about toys talking comics talking podcasting and that's me charlton charlton underscore hero chris bailey Absolutely. And don't forget about Superblog team up too. You know, uh, there was just a round that went through that was really cool. Everybody had some great stuff up. So yeah, go to Twitter and also search that hashtag uh, SBTU or Superblog team up for, you know, some really good stuff there from uh, uh, Chris and uh, everybody else involved. So if you, if you really like blogs and, and that's the one thing and a part of nostalgia 
is blogging because, you know, it's, it's one of those formats that don't get any love. And that's why we created Superblog Team Up. It's to, you know, really emphasize content creators because there's so many talented people out there. And I'm so proud of that group. You know what I mean? Superblog Team Up is just a just a group of cool content creators that do podcasts, that do blogs, that do video blogs. You know what I mean? All kinds of different formats that you'll see. And, uh, you know, if you really want to check out the work, I urge everybody to go on to Twitter and do hashtag Superblog Team Up, hashtag SBTU. And there is just so much content that's out there from all kinds of different themes. And basically, the whole concept and idea of Superblog Team Up is that we take one particular idea, so one concept, everybody writes about that one particular concept, but in a different vibe. You know what I mean? Everybody takes mm-hmm. their own uh, unique spin on it. And when I say unique, every single person does, you know, uh, one person will do a movie podcast. Someone else will talk about it, how, you know, they discovered a particular comic through cakes. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just so many avenues that Superblog team up covers and uh, I'm super proud of their output. So check out any, any of the Superblog team up out there. There's so many blogs out there waiting to be discovered and I can't, I uh, can't urge you enough to uh, check out some of the greatest content creators out there on the web. So that's super blog team up. Yep. That's a lot of fun. And like you said, it's, it's awesome seeing all these different takes on, you know, a subject. It's really, really cool. Everybody has, you know, a different opinion, a different angle on something. And it's great. It's a really great idea. So uh, yeah, everybody check that out too. So, all right, uh, Mr. Bailey, I am going to, uh, uh, get going here and uh, get to the wrap up. But I want to thank you once again for being on. A pleasure as always, sir. My pleasure, sir. And hopefully we'll do this again real soon, Billy. You betcha. All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Hello and welcome. In 1971, when Jack Kirby left Marvel Comics and started working exclusively for DC, Kirby intended to use this opportunity to create more substantial material. The Fourth World titles are the most obvious example of this intent. Kirby also envisioned utilizing a variety of comic book formats. According to Mark Evanair, Kirby wanted to expand the medium beyond the restrictions of the monthly 32-page comic book format. In essence, Kirby wanted to experiment with the medium. Kirby's inspiration was taken from the so-called European albums that were being imported to North America. These albums were high-quality reproductions of comic books that were, usually, serialized in magazines. Some examples would be Hergé's Tintin and Asterix by Goscinny and Uderzo. Both examples were well-regarded and quite popular in both Europe and North America. Apparently, Kirby pitched a variety of ideas and formats to DC, one of which being a high-quality magazine. DC greenlit two magazine ideas, True Divorce Cases and In the Days of the Mob. DC apparently suggested a supernatural title to Kirby. This suggestion would become Spirit World. Another title, Soul Love, was also proposed at this time. This project was delayed due to editorial concerns over the depiction of African Americans. As can be seen on the original artwork, DC altered the characters' faces. The reason for these alterations are unknown but likely related to the aforementioned concerns. Regardless, this production delay and the lack of success of Spirit World and In the Days of the Mob resulted in this series being cancelled before any issues were printed. Originally, Kirby intended these magazines to be in full color and printed on slick paper, much like a standard newsstand magazine. 
Presumably, DC was hesitant to invest in an expensive magazine format. In the end, it was decided to publish these as black-and-white magazines, very similar to the successful contemporary examples of Creepy and Eerie. In the days of the mob was a standard black-and-white magazine, while Spirit World was printed using blue ink rather than black ink. It was an odd choice. But, in my opinion, it does slightly enhance the experimental nature of the magazine itself. Spirit World itself is definitely an interesting, obscure addition to the Kirby bibliography. For the most part, it's about paranormal topics that were popular at the time. The thread connecting all of these disparate stories together is the host-slash-narrator Dr. Leopold E. Mass, a specialist in the new field of research, parapsychology. In my opinion, Spirit World is like a print version of the Leonard Nimoy series In Search Of. Of course, Spirit World predates that TV series by six years. The cover was drawn by Kirby. DC sent it to Neil Adams, their go-to cover artist at the time. Adams redrew the cover following Kirby's layout and design. The first story concerns a psychic premonition of the Kennedy assassination. The second story is about a haunted house. The third story, written in photograph by Mark Evanair and Steve Sherman, Kirby's assistants at the time, is, um, an enigmatic piece about cults. The next story concerns reincarnation. This is followed by a full-text piece, written by Evanair and Sherman, with mixed-media backgrounds by Kirby. The magazine concludes with a brief look at the predictions of Nostradamus. The inside back cover is one-panel cartoons by Sergio Aragones. It's the only page of artwork not done by Kirby. Most of the material reads like Kirby wondering out loud on the page. He seems quite interested in paranormal topics, but he hasn't a firm opinion on them. As a creative person, Kirby appears to be interested in the story possibilities of the paranormal, rather than determining the veracity behind any of the claims represented. Kirby was, after all, a storyteller. He exclusively worked with ideas. He didn't necessarily pursue the discovery of real-world truths. Ultimately, both magazine projects were cancelled shortly after being published. According to Evan Eyre, neither magazine received proper distribution. By his account, he saw boxes of Spirit World sitting in a warehouse in Los Angeles, never reaching the newsstands. Copies that did make it to the newsstands were shelved with other magazines. This disguised the fact that it was a comic book in a larger format, rather than a magazine with comic book material. Therefore, its intended audience, more mature comic book readers, was never aware of its existence. Furthermore, as far as one can tell, there was very little or no promotional material to interest an audience in this new Kirby product. It may be reasonable to speculate that DC had no confidence in this format, and they put in a minimal amount of effort to accommodate Kirby's experimental creative necessity. Also, one might suggest that the immediate failure of this magazine project may have been justification or evidence DC used to suggest to Kirby that his audience expected regular comic book work from him. Again, this is speculation. An entire second issue of Spirit World was written and drawn prior to cancellation. As a result, DC repurposed these pages and included them in two separate horror titles the following year. Weird Mystery Tales No. 1 includes Horoscope Phenomenon. The second issue includes Toxel, the World Killer. And the third issue includes The Burners. Forbidden Tales of Dark Mansion No. 6 includes the story The Psychic Bloodhound. All of these stories were originally created for the second, unpublished issue of Spirit World. Spirit World is Jack Kirby putting everything he has on the comic book page. 
Certainly, Kirby always tried to do his best work. This was a characteristic that defined his overall career. But with Spirit World, Kirby appears to be pushing his artistic capabilities. Or, perhaps more accurately, he's trying to find new abilities to utilize in his work. One example of this statement is Kirby's mixed-media compositions. They are highly surreal and abstract. While he did use this technique in Fantastic Four and later in The Fourth World, it was always done sparingly. In Spirit World, Kirby provides six full pages of these compositions, all of which are rather interesting pieces of artwork. The short Fumetti story, Children of the Flaming Wheel, is less successful as a composition. But it's so bizarre and enigmatic, it's almost impressive. In my opinion, it's this effort, or this creative exploration, that makes a work of this nature worthwhile. Whether it succeeds as a satisfying reading experience, or whether the stories arrive at a fulfilling conclusion, is somewhat irrelevant. Because, in the end, Spirit World represents a creator trying to discover new forms of expression within the medium. Given the necessary time and opportunity, Kirby could have produced some interesting, more mature genre material like Spirit World. He simply needed the time to develop a voice that was appropriate for the material. Aesthetically, the artwork is as dynamic as one would expect from Kirby. However, it is tempered and less bombastic in comparison to his superhero work. This assessment also applies to the other Kirby magazine, In the Days of the Mob. Both are examples of Kirby's incredible ability to stage a scene. That is, all the visual information necessary to tell the story is available in every panel, and he accomplishes this organically, without any panel looking crammed or visually false. In the end, Spirit World is an interesting and obscure piece of Kirby material. It represents a creator trying to expand his method of expression within a medium that was just beginning to open up to more experimental types of work. That's it for today. Like, share, subscribe, and comment, and I will talk at you later. Until next time. This episode of the Bronze Age of Horror. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank uh, Chris for being on. Uh, he's a really good guy. You know, he's doing great work with Superblog Team Up, and definitely check out Superhero Satellite. You know, his uh, his blog there, and catch him all over the place. He get does a lot of guest spots. You know, talking about comics and uh, wrestling and stuff like that. So definitely look for him on uh, Twitter at Charlton underscore Hero. He's a real good guy. Like I said, he'll. He'll definitely be on again in the future. We'll either talk some more crazy Kirby or something else, you know, we can uh, pull out of the hat here. So definitely uh, tune in, and uh, I appreciate everybody listening in. And if you uh, feel so inclined, if you could uh, scoot on over to Spotify or, you know, Apple Podcasts, wherever you uh, download from, and do a, uh, you know, a review and a rating, that would be fantastic. I need to go into uh, Spotify to check that out to see if there's any in there and i need to check the international for apple yet as well so i'm definitely going to do that and then uh, give shout outs uh, on uh, one of the upcoming shows so once again thanks for listening <laughs>